no one owes you anything. Mm. Government, corporate, they, they don't owe you a meeting. Mm. If I'm in marketing, I'm the head of marketing, I don't owe you a meeting. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, we must never ever walk away from the fact that being a township entrepreneur is not a sympathy play. Yes. Saying I'm a black entrepreneur, I'm a black business owner, I'm a female owned is not a sympathy play. Mm -hmm. But what it, what it is is a positioning statement, right? Yes. Because of the BE code, simply. Yeah. That's it. But you still need to compete as a, as a small business owner whether you're from the township or sort, or in this particular case, the township business owner, you still must compete. You know, you, you, if your product doesn't have a competitive market, you've got no need competing at the end of the day. Yep. Then closing down because, you know, it's not a charity play mm. because the ones who have got the right product are going to win. Welcome to the Lebu Lion Show, the biggest marketing and entrepreneurship podcast on the African continent. And today I am so excited for many reasons. Firstly, because we have a guest who is going to blow your minds when it comes to talking about our continent, right? And where we come from, our people, and how corporates can capitalize on that in a meaningful way. And also, I'm so happy to be back. I know I've been gone for a couple of weeks. We've just had to restructure. As you can see, we're in a new space. We're wearing bright colors. It's summer. And we're really excited to be closing off the year in this way. So without further ado, you guys know how I do. I don't introduce our guest. He introduces himself. So, Bulelani Balabala. Introduce yourself, please, sir. Sure. No, man. Um, sure. So nervous. <laughs> but, this uh, is the first time he's nervous, <laughs> by the way, because this man is not a nervous person. <laughs> no, man. Um, thank you so much for having me on the, on the podcast. Um, the name is Bulelani Balabala. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm the founder of Township Entrepreneurs Alliance. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, man, my entrepreneurial journey started a number of years ago um, out of a, from, from a town township called Tembisa. And I think over the years, one has developed and we do the work that we do now in townships specifically. I like that you're talking about a sector that I know I don't know a lot about, which is the township, right? So we're going to delve into that. But before we go into that, I want to talk about your cap. Get things done. Let's talk about this because... No matter where you go, you will be able to spot Bulelani because of this cap. He takes it everywhere with him. Tell us about Get Things Done. What is the concept behind it? So the thinking around Get Things Done for me was, you know, I think about nine years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I think when my sort of speaking career had sort of kicked off. Yeah. Um, I think I wanted a, a statement or it sort of, I don't know, it married me. And it, it just became my statement. Then I thought, well what best of a way to sort of differentiate, differentiate yourself in the market than to sort of, when you brand yourself, you just have be this guy with a cap, wearing a shirt that's not tucked, dark trousers, always black sneakers, and then they written get things done. It's sort of a, a captivating statement, you know? And I think over the years, I've had some interesting comments about the cap, you know? <laughs> I've been asked, do you have a head? <laughs> do you have a head? Do you have a head Do you have there? a head? Please you know, answer that question for those who are curious. Definitely have a head. He has a, oh my God, this is a moment in history where Lani took off his cap on camera. Yeah, no, never, it never happens. Historic. No, it never happens. But... But I think for me, it was a statement of reminder, right? It's a, yeah. a, a thing of remembrance to say, doesn't matter what we talk about, where we talk about it, what's, in, what's in super important is getting things done and working on our visions and dreams. I like that. It speaks to action, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, a lot of the time people dream about what they want to do. You know this, we're both in the yeah. entrepreneurial space. And I mean, you know entrepreneurs even better than I do. And people will come and pitch their ideas but they never really show us what they've gotten done, right? Yeah. So I want to speak more to that concept of what it looks like to get things done for entrepreneurs, no matter what your gender is, no matter what your race is, what does it look like to get things done? So I think for me, I think on the first, right, it's, you know, putting aside, I think number one, all ego, right? Mm. Putting aside um, 
I think ego and your perception or your thoughts or those voices in your heads around what people are going to say and what they think around your business, your, your, your brand and your development and growth. Because some of the things that stifle and keep us from starting are the, are the voices in our head that are very loud, right? So do I even deserve to start? You know, do I even deserve to go out there and even sell? Yes. But what if I go out and I sell in the streets and they say no? Yes. You know, the reality of it is, you know, if you're not enterprising or rather if you're not selling and putting yourself out there, whether whether or not you're in the corporate world, whether or not you're an entrepreneur that's trying to develop, grow and scale your business, you need sales to scale your business, you need customers to scale your business. Yeah. And the best way is to go out there and boldly just sell because it doesn't matter what people say with you in the in, say about you or with you or for you against you in the interim. Yeah. But as long as you you have sold and you have gotten money in the bag that's the only thing that matters yes getting money in the bag that's, that's that getting matters. things done yeah. he says that's all that matters and i can attest to this right i mean we all come from different backgrounds our stories are different yeah. but if you want to succeed you have to get things done you have to act and you spoke about sales yeah. which is something i know you're very passionate about you tweet about Super. it what is sales Budalan? so for me say you know for me i think i think maybe on the tail end right is um, you know, in the, in the township, I think one of the things that we used to say is, if our food no glam, but if you don't want to be hungry, then millions of plan. Mm. And that plan, that plan, or that plan is to sell. Yes. You must sell something, whether it's selling veggies or selling yogurts and or whatever, because that's one of the ways that we're going to change. I think number one, when you sort of look at the socioeconomic landscape of the country, yeah. the youth unemployment numbers, the rise in crime and all that stuff, the, the, you know, there won't be enough jobs. Yes. Um, and I think the sort of nine million that the government has put out as an audacious goal to say that we want to create nine million jobs or rather create an enabling environment for small businesses or large corporates to hire nine million people won't happen as fast as it should. So that yeah. means that if if someone is working somewhere, if it's an unemployed graduate, sell your services. Find products that are online and drop ship them or resell. But sell, doesn't matter what it is. But the challenge sometimes is we want to sell glamorous products, right? Mm. We want to sell, I want to I wanna sell um, luxury, luxury luxury products. Luxury, I want to yeah. sell products that would still maintain my dignity. But the idea of dignity in that case is a fallacy. Yes. Because at the end of the day, after yes. you walk away, we don't care about how car you drive, where you live, and whatsoever. You are the one who cares about it. So we spend most of the time um, funneling out our sales journey around um, around how other people are going to feel about us. But those people don't really care because it will never impact them. It impacts you. Yeah. So the best way is you know to, to build up or grow balls of steel and go out into the. There's no other way. Chutzpah. You know, grow up balls of steel and go out into the market and sell. That's my thing sell whatever you need to but sell it so that you can grow yourself you know what i want to throw something at you i hear what you're saying and i agree to a large extent and Willani and i have debates all the time so this there's nothing uncommon yeah. about this but you said it doesn't matter how other people see you, right and i'd like to disagree with that statement because i think a lot of the time and what influences sales is packaging and positioning and a lot of the time those things are based on what people see not necessarily what you are selling, right? So the optics matter. And I think that a lot of the time, maybe entrepreneurs struggle to strike a balance between what things look like versus what they are to achieve their objectives. But I mean, you know that when people see you with this cap, it says something about your brand and that is selling. But no, does yeah. it meet the bottom line? No, no, I get you. Yeah, no, I get you. Obviously, I think, obviously from a branding, marketing perspective, um, being very brand conscious, conscious of your colors, typography, images, yeah. how you say it and where you say it is important. But you see, for me, and, and I think, I think also, I also sort of think that from a growth perspective, entertain that. But when you're starting, you know, I'm from the township, just yeah. So for me, when I say that, it doesn't matter what people think. It's more driven around if it's going to work against your motivated spirits or inspiration to go out there and sell, negate it, shut I it down, see. and put it to the side, right? Yeah. 
but also we will never we will never ever get to the point where we are so conscious of our brands that we leave money on the table. Mm. So sometimes we leave money on the table because I want to be in a room with important people because I think I am important and I don't want to grab those crumbs that are falling off the table because of how they will perceive me. Yeah. So Manjamina, what I say is that I don't mind how they will perceive me yes. because <laughs> once I get the money, I can get an amazing label to work on my brand, change a image. <laughs> and the very same people that perceive me in a certain way, those people want to align with me because simp- the re- simple reality is everyone wants to associate with a winner. Yeah. You know, so there's a difference. There are people out there and you know some of them, I work with some of them in the media or whatever the case, right? Some are influencers or not. They're people that look successful and the people who are successful. Mm-hmm. But you know, what I care about is being successful. I don't want to live like I'm successful and I don't have bread at the end of the day. I want to I wanna create a type of livelihood where the perception and the brand must match what I have in terms of equity, what I have in actual terms of material goods and the type of peace that I have because I would have created the type of livelihood that I need to create. So the idea and the mindset around fake it till you make it or create a certain perception works well as long as you don't allow ego to get in the way. I see. So what? how would you phrase this concept that you're sharing? Because it isn't necessarily fake it till you make it, right? No, no, it's not. How would you phrase it? What would it be? I don't know. I think for me... I think in the simplest, right, it would be always have your eyes on the goal, right? I might present and sh- I might present myself in a certain way, but always have the eyes on the goal. And the goal is get the sale in. Mm. And for me, get the sale in by any means necessary, as long as it's not illegal. Yes. And you know, and and sometimes do first and apologize later. Yes. You know, because you know sometimes we wait for people to open up doors. They won't open up doors. Yeah. No one is gonna let you in. You know, with a smile on their face. But you know what? The moment I'm in, I'm in. I'm in. Yes. But disclaimer, as long as it's not illegal. Yeah. <laughs> or something that's morally um, incorrect or yeah, bankrupt. exactly. Just don't do any of that stuff. But yeah. whatever's going to push your career, you do that. Because some of the things I've had to do is I've had to, you know, there was those particular career points in my career. I felt like I was doing okay, but okay enough. I think at that point I was, it would have been okay enough for me to develop an ego. I see. You know, and, but, yeah. you know, for the fact that you are constantly developing and growing as a human being, there every room or every level that you want to grow into is a zero base. Mm. Meaning that whatever accolades you got, yes. whatever awards you got, yep. don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Meaning that that room will only accept you if you come in there as an amateur that seeks to learn and absorb. Yes. So being Ipari, or in this case, being being an idiot, perceived as an idiot, is not a negative thing in my view. Because, you know, because for me, you know, it's the art of being unsuspecting. You know, Mm. it's the art of moving in that particular case in silence. No one assumes you're coming. No one assumes the wrath of the growth of your brand. They see you just developing and growing and taking over the market. That for me is winning smart. Winning smart, I like that concept. Yeah, I like that. It's, it's a very smart. nice, you should like trademark it, winning, winning smart, smart, right? It's like working smart, but you win smart. Mm. And I like that you've kind of humanized this hustle culture that we have. Yeah. And you've made it really tangible. So it is every single level you get to, you're starting from zero. You know, humble yourself, understand that you need to keep building. Because yeah. I think a lot of the time we think... I'm here, I'm Nebulani, I'm I don't have to build anymore, everywhere yeah. I go they must know me. And it's like, no, actually, we're going to meetings where people don't take us seriously. Yeah. <laughs> we're pitching for our lives. Yeah. And it really is a hustle, a continuous hustle. But before we go into more of these concepts, because I really love what you're sharing, I want people to know more about your story. Because, you know, sometimes people watch us and they say, ah, these two, or whoever's sitting here, they look successful. Yeah. They're just speaking from a soapbox. I went to tea a couple of weeks ago and DJ Spoo was speaking about you. And he says, do you guys know that this man (laughs) (laughs) who is mentoring all of you, who is creating platforms for all of you, didn't even finish my trick. I was shocked. (laughs) I was like, what? Tell us about that. Hey, man. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? Um, So I think years and years and years ago, right, um, my mother had sort of decided 
um, that you know she was losing her job wherever she was working at the time. Mm-hmm. And as as I remember the story, her her view was, I would rather run out of money knowing that you at least have some sort of a skill or trade of some sort. Mm. Meaning that, you know, post grade nine, the minimum entrant at an FET college, further education and training institution would be grade nine. Yes. So her thinking was, um, let's take you to an FET college and we'll see how far the money goes. So I was taken from grade nine to this FET college. I did the introductory course, N1, N2, and then the money ran out because metric equivalent would be N3 or something like that, if I'm not mistaken, or specializing goes post that. And then, I mean, I sort of spent then the first two years almost doing nothing. And I think then the idea sort of came, right? I mean, my first big deal over 17 years ago was supplying metric jackets. I made 15,765. Um, 15, 15,000. The deal was worth the deal was worth that amount, but okay. my profit was 800 rand. Wow. And I, I remember giving my mother 500. And she thought I was doing drugs. So it's a lot of money, right? <laughs> and how we how we went about doing that is a friend introduced me to a friend who introduced me to a supplier who introduced me to a supplier, and all these people are taking a cut of the actual service. And you know, we made whatever money we made. But I think over and above that, um, I then sort of thought, sat and I thought, well, what what can I start that can give me day to day money? Then I decided to start an internet cafe in the township in Tembisa, my mother's garage. And I remember then I got the tabletops for my back opposite neighbors because they were renovating their, their house, the, 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 the wardrobe doors rather, and used them as tabletops. The crates from SCORE, I'll mention them. Um, they're no longer in business, but thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the carpets from a local church, chairs from a local church. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my brother bought me the printer, my aunt bought the ink. It was a community effort and collective, right? So people that yeah. came in and supported this. You know, first day I opened up, I made five rand. Um, the first eight years, I was making anything between 180 to about 380 rand, um, you know, f- for seven and a half years. And I remember it was at the seven and a half year mark where I sort of felt like this thing is not moving because you're also having pressure from home, right? Yes. My mother's a single mother. She's really just hustling and trying whatever she can. Um, I'm, I'm the last born in my family. You've got an older brother. It's just the two of us. So she's really just struggling along and she's feeling the pressure, right? And, you know, the, 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 the her conscious reality is you are hustling, but as your hustling is not moving as fast as it should. Mm. You know, can we, can you do something, go get a job or whatever the case? So it was at that point where I wanted to give up, but also it was also at that point where things started to change. And I started to develop the business. So in these years I've done business, I've sold uh, polonies, cheese, stationary packs. <laughs> I've transported school kids. Yes. I've sold stationary packs. I've sold ice cream. Mm-hmm. Sure. I don't know what I haven't done, man. So how did you move your internet cafe from where it was to something that's really making significant money? So, so what, what it was for me, right, I always had the goal. So the goal was never to start the internet cafe. Okay. The, the passion that spurred through from supplying the metric jackets, right? And then the thinking around the metric jackets was, we'll always do these yearly, but you know, the win there came as a result of the fact that my friends were, you know, head boys, head girls, and in, in the SRC and the sorts. So that win could not be replicated elsewhere because mm. they already had suppliers, right? I see. But the thinking from that moment was it would be nice to go into the printing space but I didn't have a model, I didn't have a reference, I didn't have anyone, nor did I have the skills. Mm. So the Internet Cafe start was an interim, but I always had my eyes on the, on the sorry, on, on printing. So what I then started to do, I mean, seven years in, I think on the eighth year, I hired my first employee. I remember then, you know, it was tough. I was, I was, I was earning 1,300, because we are making now, on the eighth year, we are making uh, 4,000 a month. It was tough, man. Mm. And but the guy is there now with the ambition to say I'm gonna get in a taxi to the local town, which is Kempton Park, and then just engage with the local printers, you know, and say, listen, guys, I'm in Tembisa, I know nothing, but I'd like to resell these products or whatsoever. How do these work and whatever? And there was an amazing guy called Philip, you know, strangely so was a year older than me. He was like, dude, really from Tembisa, you don't know anything. I'll do you one good if you come here once a week or twice a week, I will spend the whole day with you and teach you everything 
that I know where I buy the material, wow. how the machines work, Hectic. how you bill and price. Mm. So that relationship was then there. I was always there. I was, you know, I was always there and learning. And then I think out of there, then the desire sort of started to grow. Then I was a broker reselling other people's products. Then we then started to develop more and started to grow more. And then we then started to, we bought all of our machines and we then started to resell these services, not even resell any longer because we manage majority of the value chain, apart from the manufacturing of the actual raw um, thingy, um, substrates. Yeah. And yeah, we grew, we grew, we did extremely well. Then we're selling the printing now. We've moved on to something Aye. else. We've done very well, you know, clap, and clap, thank clap God. for you. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you, man. You made me think about something when you were sharing your story. And that's this age-old question. Are people born entrepreneurs or do they become entrepreneurs? You know, I mean, when I look at my journey, right, um, I mean, I think I, I grew into becoming because I was a total introvert. I was a short, fat kid, um, <laughs> super low self-esteem, coming from Tembisa. Um, my mother then, you know, moved us to, I guess, uh, I guess you would call the better side or what is considered the Lanier side of Tembisa, which is Hospital View. And there, I mean, that's where all the te teachers, the um, policemen lived, basically, if you're or nurses, if you're a professional that's earning well, you're living in that space. Now I've got friends around me that have got three or four TVs at home. I don't even have a TV at home. We don't even have furniture at home, right? I mean... Um, you know, came from the type of place where my brother would wear whatever clothes he wears and I'd have underwear hand-me-downs, you know, obviously clothes and everything else and all that stuff. And, and I sort of, you know, when I, when I sort of think back and, and I look at that, right, I think for me it's, it's all of that stuff that I had to go through, but the crash course was getting into entrepreneurship. So the, the, it was first the desire, and then the desire came with a whole lot of hard lessons with it yeah. that I had to learn as I moved along. And then it pushes you to shape yourself because it's a, it's a single swim. It's either you're going to do it and you potentially maybe going to win. We can't guarantee when you're going to win because it's entrepreneurship, it's unpredictable. Or you're not going to do it and you're going to lose and you're going to complain for the rest of your life. So I think I chose, and I keep choosing that each and every day because it's entrepreneurship in and itself is uncomfortable. Yes. I'd like to be uncomfortable. I'd like to be comfortable, but when I walk in a room, I need to remember, scan the room, and then get out of my shell. Now I must yes. greet. Now I must smile. <laughs> then I must hug people. Oh, I've been watching you. Oh, I really want to work with you. Blah 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 blah. And then you then go back into your shell. But in my true sense, I love being in my own corner. I love living a private life. I love being outdoors. We've seen it on your social media pages, so yeah, you, you know, know you're yeah. like an outdoor baby. Yeah, Pella, you must remember, Pella, for us, right? What you see now through social media, right? People going to the safari, the bushes. Wow. I don't know. It's the, like in the, not the bushes, man. Bushes the, is too fancy. But that's where no, we whatever. were, you know, in the rubbish bins, unpacking the rubbish bin one pack at a time, because it was an adventure to us. Yeah. So I think maybe also growing up in the township is one of the things that drove me. But I think to answer the question, I don't know, man. I think you learn it as you move along. Yeah. Okay. I really I, think... I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that answer. I think it does encompass a lot of people's journeys, you know? Because yeah. we live in a country where we're really facing a lot of challenges. Yeah. So a lot of us are being thrust into entrepreneurship. Yeah. And I don't think people are aware of the fact that the journey sounds and looks like what you're talking about. Yeah. So it is that seven years of just, uh, what is going on? And then maybe like a ray of hope and then more just challenges and then another ray of hope. So that is entrepreneurship and I, I can completely relate to what yeah. you're saying. Side note, I know a lot of people watching this podcast don't think I know what a skangeni is, but I actually, <laughs> <laughs> I actually do because I also used to play in it. I think, I mean, if you grew up in the 90s, 
you had some kind of childhood um, township upbringing. Yeah. It doesn't matter how long you stayed there, but you stayed there because that's just at the cusp of yeah. apartheid ending, Mandela being released. Da, 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 da. So we all stayed in the hood. We weren't speaking like this when we stayed there. And that's how I know a lot of the culture from the township, you know? So I want to get into the conversation about the township. But before that, I had one more question to ask you about your journey. How do you know when to stop? How do you know when what you're doing isn't working and it needs to be stopped, not iterated, not changed up, not anything, just you need to stop and do something new? So for me, there's no, there's no straight answer, right? Because, I mean, it, it took me three years full on to really decide to leave print. Mm. Because, and I think also, it's as an entrepreneur, we attach sentiment to these businesses we start and we call them our babies, right? And, you know, when you think back to how hard it was for you to start, how hard it was for, for me to raise whatever capital, uh, you know, and convince people to give me their money to buy equipment, you get married to the business. But sometimes when you, you know, when weighing up the, the love that you have for the business versus your goals and ambitions, yeah. and ambitions rather, you sort of look at the value chain and the pipeline of where you're trying to go. And someone says, you know, I want to hit a billion. But the true question is, can you hit a billion in the industry that you are in? Yeah. You know, does, does it have a market cap to produce billions? And who are the big players who are within that space? So I think then as you grow as an entrepreneur, you start to then ask yourself these questions. And as you ask these questions, um, what it then unpacks is, you know, the, the unraveling answers. And I think sometimes what then happens is we hold on for too long. Mm-hmm. You know, like because a bad relationship. Always, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, when you're dating that guy, you can't let him go. And you keep telling yourself many I'm stories about why it's working, but it's not working. Yeah, man. And I think, you know, for me, you know what? Um, it's, sometimes it's about making that jump, right? Because mm-hmm. if you could build it from scratch, um, sometimes with the reference, sometimes with not, you can build whatever you want to build. But what is also driving you to saying, I want to exit where you are right now in moving on to something else? Because there's also the other side of this, right? Yeah. There is also me seeing Lebu doing well in podcasting, thinking, why am I in print? I must just go into podcasting. Because <laughs> exactly. every time I used to see people coming to my internet cafe, driving better cars, and they were coming there to do their invoices or their quotations and I was doing their stuff. You know, then you learn this guy's in construction, then you think maybe I must go to construction. Hey. Then you learn this guy's in printing, then you start to desire printing. Mm-hmm. But there's also but there's also a great deal of success that will come in you staying true to the journey. Yes. But it's a fine line, you know, where you yes. need to then differentiate. I've learned what I need to, it's time to jump over to the next thing. Or I'm just being envious because there's nothing wrong with me appreciating your success. Yeah. There's everything wrong when I put myself under pressure because of Lebu's success in whatsoever space that she's in. Because then that then that then that envy ends up turning into hate. But it's unjust hate yeah. because it's got nothing to do with you. We're running different journeys and different paths. I love that, the unjust hate conversation. And that's another podcast yeah. on its own. So we're going to have you back to talk about that. I'd love that. Because I think as African yeah. people, we, we do suffer from that. Yeah. And there are many reasons why, you yeah. know. So it's, it's a complex conversation to have. But let's talk about the township, right? This podcast isn't synonymous with amplifying the stories of people from the township, you know, and I don't do that because I can't be the voice of that, you yeah. know. I respect African people, I respect where we come from and I understand all the, the nuances of being from certain places. Yeah. And I wanted you here today so we could talk about A, the township and the commercial. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this fly is no, getting Mother to Nature. Me. Jesus, it's not Mother Nature, bro. Mother Nature. Ah, in the, in the, it's in visiting the room. us and fit. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to talk about A, what is the township? You know, give us a view and let us see. Somebody who's never been, describe this place to them and why it's so important. Then let's talk about it from a business perspective. Why should we, as entrepreneurs, business people, professionals, brands, corporates, why should we be looking to the township as a space to invest in, as a space to uh, participate in commercially? Why the township? So I think number one, right, when you look at... Um, Largely so. I mean, the brands that are out there in the market, I mean, more especially, I almost said product-based, but whether it's product-based or services, right, they make their money largely from 
the black market. Mm -hmm. And the black market largely resides in the township. Yep. Even though we've got some individuals that have migrated from the township, they then stay in urban areas and suburban areas or whatever the case. But the majority of us, we all come from the township in one way or another. Mm -hmm. so, the, the, so there's two parts of this conversation, right? There's the one that talks to how the brands need to support. There's the other one, which is the consciousness of township, right? And being someone who comes from the township, you know, you, I think for me it becomes imperative for you to carry that wherever you go. Mm. You know, townships in and themselves um, were created as segregation zones, right? To keep us away from white people at the time that were living in opulent areas. So we would commute to go to work or even live in their backyards or in whatever the case is and provide gardening services and cleaning services. But it was meant to keep us far away. So there's a big conversation that now happens that says, but why are we glorifying building beautiful houses in the township? You know, we don't deserve to live in those spaces. What? You know, what spaces then do we then deserve to live in? You know, because, um, you know, my thing is being able to create your own new narrative from mm -hmm. a narrative, a negative narrative that was pushed out years ago. That for me is the win. Yeah. One of the biggest desires I had when starting my business, which is why since inception, we have always been in the township, you know. We've got, you know, this office, amazing boardrooms in the township and all those things. But for me, it was the, the, the passion thing for that was to say any young kid or any person walking up and down is to dispel the myth that says that the only thing that you can find at the township is a rundown tavern, a shabin, a car wash that's dwindling, a hair salon that's not doing well, doesn't have proper ventilation, yeah. um, a cotta place that's not doing so well, and all that stuff. No, no, it's to, it's to change how you see the township mm -hmm. and sometimes we then have perceptions that say you know you almost develop an Akashi mindset when mm -hmm. you look at businesses that are in the township mm -hmm. but it was one of the strangest things when doing the work that we do you find someone who's selling cotas making over 580,000 rand a month you know on a 40 580,000 yeah. rands a month yeah. selling cotas yeah Hectic. Out of a six meter by four meter zinc container or umkuku, if you would like to have it, mm. you know, and which is why I will always then be driven in, in and around saying that money is not in glamour. So we want glamorous things, but they're not. And that's why we continue to undermine the township. I mean, I look at when I, years ago, now it's probably just changed now. Yeah. But, you know, 16 years ago or years ago, when you tried to employ someone, I remember I hired someone and they would have preferred to work for a big uh, thing, a big um, wholesaler or rather a supermarket wholesaler yeah. and earn almost a third or two thirds of what we're going to give them uh, purely because it's a reputable brand. Yeah. So it still yes. carried that perception. But for me, mm -hmm. you know, it becomes then also equally important for people who come from the township, who live in the township, to understand the power that is in their rand. Whether it's one rand, whether it's five rand, whether it's 30 rand. And being very aware means that you become deliberate about where you spend that money. The conscious consumer. Which brand do I then spend the money on? And my argument or my, you know, I think when I've engaged people, I implore them, spend money on brands that are very active in supporting you, that are very active in the development of the supporting township. Supporting you as a black person. Yeah, supporting black individuals. It might not necessarily be Bulelani who benefits, but if I see that organization X, Y, and Z is very present mm. in the development, in the training and building facilities for black individuals, then those are the organizations that we need to be backing and putting our money towards because gone are the days where we'll have an insurance company or a health and health company or a vehicle company making majority of their money from black people, you know, and then they then go spend that money in, in cycling. Europe. I'm not necessarily <laughs> saying that cycling is not a sport that now has black entrance, but where is the mass majority of individuals in the country? Where are they displaced? Where are they positioned? Could we not redirect some of those budget budgets to the right sort of places? And then I just think over and above that as well, because one of the biggest trends we have picked up, you know, spoke at a marketing conference, was to say the consistent way in which brands 
will pick out one individual or two individuals and then call them township or call them the face of entrepreneurship or whatsoever the case. But that's aesthetically pleasing, whereas those people know nothing about that landscape hey. and they won't plug into the immediate communities or have their hand on the pulse of what's going on. So you've got hmm. this amazing marketing campaign um, it's amazing. amazing aesthetically. It's amazing at the at the boardroom, but it's got no impact on the ground, mm -hmm. and it's it's sort of it's sort of skewed. So being able to have your hand on the pulse of what's going on and plugging in as a brand becomes super important through to the growth of your actual business. You've said a lot, yeah. and I'm saying that because there's so many concepts for us to unpack in what you said. Yeah. The first one that I love and I want to reiterate on this podcast is you spoke about the township dweller as a customer. Yeah. Not a charity case. No. You know, I think a lot of people don't see themselves as customers, as in I have money and I am a customer to whoever wants to sell me things. Yeah. So I've got the power. You know, the conscious consumer, somebody who is aware of the power of their rand. It doesn't matter if you've got 20 rand or you've got a thousand rands or a million rands. Money is money. Yeah. And scaling just means any company that will is making a lot of money is taking it from all the little pieces yeah. of money that they're getting. So they're not even chasing customers who are giving them 10,000 rands at a time. It's just money, consistent money. If you're giving us five rand at a time, that compounds into something big. Yeah. That's how you have these shopping giants that yeah. you were talking about, yeah. right? These retail giants. So I like that you spoke about the township dweller or customer as a customer and not as a charity case or people we need to help and we need to have these NGOs or whatever. No, there's business there. There's commerce happening in that space. Then you spoke about the brands and how they are not necessarily meaningfully participating. So they want to participate, it seems, from their campaigns, but it's not meaningful participation. Yeah. And what I want to ask you from that brand perspective before we speak about the customer is, do brands need to have people who come from the township in senior positions in their marketing departments, etc., so that they can actually participate meaningfully? How does it work? How do they know where to go to find this information so that they can do the right things? So for me, it's, and it's what a beautiful question, right? You know, year, two years ago, I was engaging with the CEO of one of the largest agencies in the country. And he says to me, you know, we're working on a campaign, but we need you to come and give us um, your thoughts and views and advice on this campaign. But um, it's a township, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, majority of staff members are black, mm -hmm. you know? They're all from, they're all from the township where in, in one way or another. And he's like, no, no, no offense. I'm not trying to be rude, racist, or whatsoever the case, or sound whatever. But the reality is when I engage most of them, they have far removed themselves from the township and most of them want nothing to do with the township. So I'm township, I come from the township by background, but through whatever trauma or whatever thinking, because there's also trauma, right? Yep. You could have had your parents murdered, you could have lost stuff and there's trauma. It's not necessarily to say that you are walking away from people. People react in certain ways yeah. and they're the ones who just throw their hands in the air and say, I want nothing to do with them and that's on them. Mm. But I think for me, then it becomes meaningful, yes, to have the representation in whatsoever room that makes these decisions, right? But also, it's also then equally important to have the people who are plugged into what is going on in those spaces on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay. Then the campaign will then have legs because it's always beautiful then to have different thoughts and different ideas sort of sprouting through. The, the white person sitting in the marketing meeting with the Indian, with the colored, the black guy who's decided I'm going to leave the township completely with the black guy who's, or the lady who's plugged in there to sort of come up with ideas around what are the most meaningful campaigns. And those are the ones that need to then be backed in an impactful way. And I love what you said, the township individual is a customer that have yeah. got the power yes. you know when I, I remember engaging with a brand a very big um, banking institution years ago and we're sitting for the first meeting and this lady just stands up and she says 
a white lady, I need, I need to be very descriptive. A white lady stands up. I'm the only one in that room. There's about 14 of them. She says, well, I mean, our research that we paid a lot of money for, and I'd say <laughs> over 19 million rand to be very specific, says that the biggest challenge that um, township small businesses have is the lack of airtime. <gasps> then I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, airtime, you mean um, TV airtime or radio airtime? She says, no, cell phone cell airtime. Phone. Wow. They don't have money to call their customers. That's why they're struggling. I was sitting there shocked. And, 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 that's, and that's, that's the crazy. biggest challenge, right? As, as brands, you're spending a lot of this money on skewed data, some of yes. the desktop data that, that doesn't match up or pair up with what the actual needs are. And unfortunately, the brands will go and develop strategies, brands, products, the R&D departments will develop products that are skewed, that don't even speak to that actual market. Yes. You know, last year I was speaking at a banking not a banking, but a marketing conference. No, no, I was speaking to a banking organization, but to the global um, global departments. Yeah. And and, and the, one of the smallest examples I was giving them is I took, I pulled out one of their products, I matched it up against five other products that are in the market, against their, their five, four, four other competitors, and I pointed how they've got the exact same product, but none of them in the market are getting market absorption. Purely because they, they really because the wording, the how they sell it, how they market it is skewed. There won't be take up because they've got over a thousand products and they're trying to have a mass appeal in the market and selling all these products. So it's not gonna work. I call that the Aunt Jemima effect. Yeah. So in the States, there was this lady who was the brand ambassador, unwillingly, I guess, because she didn't know. Um, she was a helper, a, yeah. a, a lady who'd clean around in houses. And they made her the face of a, some food brand, I think. Yeah. It was Aunt Jemima Food or Hair. I can't remember one of the two. And it's literally been so controversial. And I think this year they passed a law that she can no longer be used as the face of the packaging of mm. these products because it has so many racial implications. Right, and I know a lot of people who are listening to this podcast might think, maybe Bulalani's being racist because he keeps talking about white people and black people and white people. And this is not a conversation about black people being better, white people, no. This conversation is about showcasing the diversity, first of all, that's in South Africa, and then saying, how do we as marketers, entrepreneurs, brands and corporates respect that diversity and showcase it to the customers that we are trying to sell to. And in this country, that means you have to be specific and say, I'm selling to the black market, I'm selling to the Indian market, I'm selling to the white market. That is our continent. And it would be a shame to try to erase our identities and experiences because we don't want to say Indian or black or white, yeah. you know, because this is, this is not about hating a race. This is literally about how do we recognize and fairly represent and then cater to those markets in a way that honors them and that provides maximum ROI um, for corporates and helps them meet the bottom line, right? That's, yeah, that's what we're doing when we No, no, when definitely, we because, things. no, no, definitely, which is why the big part of our chat is to, you know, to raise awareness mm. and, you know, to throw caution out there. I mean, some of the life-changing opportunities we've gotten as a company were through... Um, you know, individuals, I guess in this case, that were whites, that were able to see things from a different perspective mm -hmm. and open up opportunities. I mean, Pepe Marais did that, you know, Alon Reyes did that for me personally. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the big part of these conversations so that we help educate, you see things differently, so that when you offer support, it becomes super meaningful. Yes. You know, when, whenever I talk to brands, I, I always say, no, no, they are long-term wins and your strategy is too long. Mm -hmm. It's too far away. The mm -hmm. entrepreneur needs the help now. Yes. Let's play into what are your immediate campaigns now? Mm. What are the immediate marketing events or activations that are happening now? Can we look at what the procurement list is or the bill of quantities looks like of everything that you need to procure? And could we then potentially get some of those services and give them off to a small business owner that comes from the township mm. or a small business owner in general so that we then create market access opportunities? Or could we at Apollo, you know, bring on 
individuals that have got products that speak to that particular space and give them an exhibition table. You already have the space. It's a small thing that you will do. But that small thing to a small business owner is going to be super disruptive because you are giving them an audience and access to an actual market. That for me is being very deliberate as a brand in, in, in your statement and also in your status in and around you want to create empowerment and you want to create empowerment opportunities. And that doesn't need you to spend extra budget on creating such a space. It's yeah. plugging them into those spaces because we are very deliberate about being impactful and deliberate about empowerment. Yeah. Literally deliberate inclusion. That's yeah. what an empowerment is, I like right? That. I, like I really that. I really I like, like what you're I saying. Like now we're going to flip our conversation over to the township entrepreneur. Yeah. Some people might find that term even demeaning if you say this person is a township entrepreneur. Should we be calling people who are entrepreneurs in the township township entrepreneurs? And why is it important to call them that? So I like that. You know, years ago I got a question, but why isn't it just entrepreneurship? Mm. Why is it township entrepreneur? You know, entrepreneurship is entrepreneurship. Mm. You know, entrepreneurship, you know, is not entrepreneurship. <laughs> and I said to them, I'll keep calling it township entrepreneurship up until it's all equal. At the yeah. moment, it's not. Yeah. At the time I was saying this, you know, you throw anyone in any part of Santin, you know, within a 30-kilometer radius, there's either a co-working space, there's an incubator, there's a prosperator, they're able to access support. You throw anyone in Mamelodi or in a Tembisa, there's no hubs of economic development, yes. which means that the moment, if I need to move my idea from sort of concept or even concept to idea, ideation to an actual prototype, I can't. I need to get onto three or four taxis. Yes. That's that's why we say township. It's township for me because when even at the success of my business, I remember seven years ago, I'm in the printing business. You know, we had subscribed with one courier company and sent them a, quite a substantial amount of money. So what they used to do then, they'd send you vouchers for whatever parcels you'd send out. So we've now invested in all these parcels, want to deliver stuff to our clients. And then we are met with, uh, no, sorry, sir, we can't render the service to you because you are the only one in that township. And as a result, um, it's going to take us four days to come pick up. And uh, we, we can't confirm because it's a risky part of the country. Oh, Lord, have mercy. So for me, that's why up until, up until we then create an enabling environment with hubs of economic development, there and only then for me will it just be entrepreneurship in general. Yeah. But I use that to then remind that there is a certain space that has been segregated mm -hmm. and we then need resources. If, although now it's easier for an entrepreneur to connect. And you know what I used to say years ago is that, um, what I used to say years ago is that my biggest competition is I could be rendering the exact same service with an entrepreneur who's out in Rosebank, but is always gonna out me purely because I've got lack of connectivity and infrastructure that you know slows me down in my delivery. But through my entrepreneurial resilience, I guess I'm going to win at the end of the day. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say that in building in the infrastructure, we need to make it easy for everyone at the end of the day because the entrepreneurship is a journey that will pick out the resilient ones. Yes. But also, but also through South Africa's um, through South Africa's landscape, they are the ones who could have the opportunity to be as resilient, but they don't have the opportunities available for them to then develop and grow. And this conversation goes beyond just saying if you have an entrepreneurial mindset, you'll push as hard as you can and you'll get opportunities. You will start your business. You will push. You'll be inspired. But there are doors that are not opened by inspiration. There's just too much red tape. There's too much red tape and bureaucracy. That's the bureaucracy and red tape that we want to have for. There are doors that are not opened by inspiration. That is a tweetable, quotable, everything-table, because I love that. There are some doors that are not opened by inspiration, and you're absolutely right. And I mean, just to, to add to what you're saying, because I love it, it's so apt, is the idea that when you are a marketer or a business person, right, you do business according to geographic segmentation. Mm. So there is such a thing as an African entrepreneur versus an American entrepreneur versus a European, because we live in different places, which means the dynamics of the environment are different. And that will change the way in which we entrepreneur. Mm. And that's important. You would have, you would be a terrible business person if you were not incorporating those insights into your value chain and your strategy. Yeah. 
That's because true. then how are you supplying to people? How are you making your money? How are you speaking to people? You have to know where they come from and then decide if you're serving mm. that market. Mm. And what I hear from what you're saying is the township as a geographic location is underserved. Yeah. And that's why we have to highlight it and say, this is somebody from an underserved geographic. And these are the challenges they'll face, which means if you're going to trade with them, this is what it's going to look like. Yeah. So I am the township entrepreneur now. I'm watching this and I'm thinking, yes, Bulani's speaking for us. Brands must do whatever they must do. But what kind of mindset should they be having? Because the reality is they do have to take those five taxis right now. Yeah. They do have yeah. to participate and play with those brands. And I, 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 I don't want to really say this, but I'm going to because we have to have honest conversations. Sometimes they don't show up the right way, mm. right? So what should they be doing as township entrepreneurs to give that title the weight it deserves? So I think number one, it's, it's, for me, it's no one owes you anything. Mm. Government, corporate, they, they don't owe you a meeting. Mm. If I'm in marketing, I'm the head of marketing, I don't owe you a meeting. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, we must never ever walk away from the fact that being a township entrepreneur is not a sympathy play. Yes. Saying I'm a black entrepreneur, I'm a black business owner, I'm a female owned is not a sympathy play. Mm -hmm. But what it, what it is is a positioning statement, right? Yes. Because of the BE code, simply. Yes. That's it. But you still need to compete as a, as a small business owner whether you're from the township or sort, or rather in this particular case, as a township business owner, you still must compete. You know, you, you, if your product doesn't have a competitive market, you've got no need competing at the end of the day. Yep. Then closing down because, you know, it's not a charity play mm. because the ones who have got the right product are going to win and you can't play the sympathy card, so compete. Number two for me, it's simply in what you said, show up. You know, in the funds we've managed, the entrepreneurs who applied, you know, but never show up. They get awarded the money. They never show up. It's the strangest what? thing. Yeah. They don't you, show that's up. That's the other side of these conversations that we, and I love that you brought it up, right, that we need to have because I'm always championing for corporate to open doors, but when the doors are opened up, the exhibitor doesn't show up to a life-changing opportunity. They don't show up when they're given the order. And you need to remember one thing, right? The people that are, you know, they're amazing people in corporate that would champion. There yes. might not be a lot, but they would champion for you to get the deal. Yes. When that person is championing for you to get their deal, they're putting their reputation, they're putting their job on the line. Mm -hmm. And then you get this opportunity to supply, whether it was catering, whether it was security or IT services or whatever it is, you get this gig to supply and you don't show up. Oh. Now what you have done is you have put her career or his career back by four or five years. Yes. Anything they suggest or say in the boardroom will never be heard. Now they're always going to go with whoever they would have already used instead of utilizing that as an opportunity to showcase the fact that township businesses can actually supply and they can actually deliver. Mm. So there's this mindset. So there's this thing we used to say in the township, and I think maybe still said now, go to six nor nine, because you well, take six a nine, nine, six nor nine. What okay. that means is you take the six, you flip it upside down, it looks like a nine. You flip it back down, it looks like a six. Okay. And what that simply means is, Amarantwana late. Oh, bro, you're late. Ah, six nor nine. Oh, oh, no, no, dude, you didn't show up on time. I'm fine with 609. What, like it but, doesn't but you matter? But it doesn't matter. You didn't clean the house very well out 609. Oh, hey. That's, that's a negative culture because yes. what we then end up doing is that we then think that we are doing customers a favor yes. by selling them a quarter. Yes. So when a customer complains about the quarter is not done the right way, we are not open enough to saying, how do I fix it and how do I make it better? Yeah. And that mindset needs to change because we are, not, we are not a sympathy case. We can compete and we can compete equally and we can compete on a global scale the real question is are you willing to then open yourself up to the advice that you'll get the constructive criticism or just criticism in general and take it with an open mind to take back to your business so that you grow it and you compete equally and you disrupt the spaces that you are in Hallelujah. <laughs> I love what you just said, literally. I love that you said being black, being a township entrepreneur is a competitive advantage. It is not a sympathy case, yeah. you know, because we're really empowered as human beings, I believe. The fact that you get to wake up every day and try is you being blessed. <laughs> you don't need anything else. You work with what you have and don't compare yourself to other people because yeah. you don't have what they have and that's, that's what it is. I'm going to flip one more question to you, and that is the conversation about female township entrepreneurs. I believe that they also face challenges that are very different to the male township entrepreneurs. How is T facilitating a safe space for 
female entrepreneurs and how do, would you advise female entrepreneurs to participate in this space? So I think number one, um, I remember years ago uh, being called out, why is everyone who comes to tea as a speaker, facilitator, a male, right? And, and I think, you know, I, was, I wasn't cautious of it, right? And I think I'm a male, right? And there's a lot of things we do as men and we call them normal or call them okay, yeah. but we're not conscious of, which means that um, in whatsoever spaces we're in, you know, we need to be extra cautious to create an enabling environment mm. uh, for women. And also, someone then says, but why, why can't they just push themselves? Uh -uh. But you must understand that, you know, the environment, the patriarchal environments that we have created are the ones that... Um, are the ones that did not allow for a woman to speak up and say, I'm the one who came up with that idea. Yes. Because still for generations and generations, it, she still feels a bit off about saying, I'm the one who did it. It doesn't feel all right. Mm -hmm. So we need to create an enabling environment that makes it okay for her to say, I am the one who's championing this and I am winning in that space, mm -hmm. number one. Number two, to also then open up I mean, environments of trade, of commerce that say, even if she's a, even if she's, she owns a car wash and she owns a, she's a mechanic, that's okay for you to do that because we'll still support you yeah. even if you do that. And we are willing to change the narrative and start to put um, certain patriarchal thinking to the side, mm. you know, because it's a generational thing that we need to take time in unraveling so that we open up market opportunities. Yeah. But I think for us, the moment we started to get um, insights or rather criticism like that, we then started to be very cautious. So also then very cautious about the opportunities we open up, uh, either from a funding or resource perspective with large corporates or the sort. Then now for us, it was the equal play to say, you know, let's equal out the scale. Mm -hmm. But then someone says, okay, but if you equal out the scale, are you not going for the best? I'm saying, no, no, in any given case, we'll always go for the best, but we will then make sure that we equal out the scale and making sure that there's representation within that space because women are equally able to deliver. Yes. And, and you know, the one thing I love, the moment you started to embrace that, women show up, man. Yep. I don't, I can't, I don't, it's not even something I need to emphasize. It's a shocking thing, right? So in any given case, I mean, we come from a tea workshop where it was only women that sent applications to pitch. Yes. You know, yes. women show up, Joe, because I mean, you look at, you sort of look at our grandmothers and our mothers that might not have been entrepreneurs or great grandmothers, but they've got the, they've got the spirit of showing up. Yes. And my thing has always been how much more when you create an enabling environment in the right spaces, they'll take over the world. Yes. Yes. and do super disruptive things. So mm -hmm. I think that's that's what we are doing as an organization, creating an enabling environment, rewriting how we sort of perceive and look at women in the township, and then making it possible for the girl child to access opportunities without being asked, are you going to come sleep with me later? Yay. You know, I am Bulelani, I'm going to open up an opportunity wherever, but you must remember that my house number is one, two, three. No, no, no. Yes. We are here and we are here to help you and literally no strings attached, no sexual strings attached yeah. or no any other strings attached it's help because that's the type of help I got it was a stranger thing to get help from someone you don't even know yeah. and those are the people that changed my life you get help from someone who just came into the township to go visit a friend they found out about us I'll tell my company about you and right there and there your life changes through a certain order yes. and I think it's still meaningful for us to provide that help and not to utilize the privileged positions that we're in as, as, as a weapon as men as, as a men. weapon to subdue women from yes. their greatness. I love what you said. I'm so glad I'm your friend because I'm <laughs> proud of what you're saying right now. And I can attest to this, right? I mean, the other teas that I've seen you post online, the people who've won the pitching segment are women. Yeah. So far, I've just been seeing women. And I've seen some of them pitch and I'm like, whoa, this is incredible. Yeah. There's hunger, there's drive. They're excited to be a tea. And you can see that they feel like they are part of something that represents them as well. Yeah. So well done on doing that. Thank you. Like we you, try. We try. It's, it's a very good thing. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. So to end off this podcast, I'd like you to leave us with some words of wisdom. And I want you to do it for two groups, right? The first group would be the entrepreneurs, the people watching the show uh, who might be professionals, um, what is it, personal brands, whatever, the individual, right? And then I want you to leave the brands and the corporations with a message. Two messages, go. 
Cool. So I think number one for for the corporates, um, you know, we see you guys trying. <laughs> um, I'd love for you to do better. T is there as a platform for you to plug into for research insights and also implementation. And mm. even if you've got an implementation partner, we've got value to to be added in whatsoever it is that you're working on, right? But I think for me, you know, everything starts at a point of understanding. And over the years, you know, in our work with corporates, it's it's always been anything that um, that has been done has always come from the point of they must understand us. They mm. must follow our criteria. They must follow our way of work. But yeah. the only way that you're going to grow, um, you know, your baseline, the, moment, the only way that you're going to grow your sales and retain customers in the long term, especially, especially also because there's a big market that is still... We're unbanked, that's underserved, it's unserved at all. That then creates a great opportunity for you to go into that market with a meaningful service, with a meaningful product, whilst creating value at the end of the day. And then I think to the entrepreneurs out there, man, you know, um, whatever you've heard here, and you'll probably go and watch other episodes of this amazing podcast. At the end of the day, it simply goes back to, you know, getting things done because talk is cheap. Numbers don't lie. Show up every every show up every day and every second, right? Mm -hmm. And sell, you know, wherever you go, sell your product, position your product, put the ego to the side, um, you know, put whatever negative perceptions you have about starting where you are with what you have to the side and start. And don't be ashamed of going out there and asking for help purely because people are going to say no, because that's the worst thing that could potentially happen. They'll say no, they'll talk about you, but it means nothing if you're then going to be solely focused on the growth of your business. Have your eyes on the have your eyes on the long term or the big picture. Have yourself focused on playing the long game and be consistent in showing up each and every day for opportunities and follow up on those sales. And at the right moment, the news is going to break and you're going to be successful in what you're doing and you're simply going to go out there and get, get things, things done. done. I'm so glad I caught that. Uh, thank you, Bulalani. And before you. I even ask you about your social media platforms, I want to reiterate what Bulalani said to the brands. The relationship between African consumers and marginalized communities like the township is a symbiotic one, and it's a mutually beneficial one. There are so many opportunities that are lying in the township for brands, for organizations, and for entrepreneurs. And the goal of this podcast is to showcase that. And the goal of what T is doing, Township Entrepreneurs Alliance, is to showcase those opportunities for both parties, right? Yeah. Because we are a united country and we're trying to strengthen our unity. And I think what T is doing is incredible because it's, yeah. it's, a living, it's walking the talk. You know, where can people access everything tea? So, um, join us for tea, dossier Zede. But we, you know, we, we, so we're busy building a platform as also well, look out for that to house all these entrepreneurs. But any information, we currently have our tea, Gassi Business Workshop mm -hmm. roadshow that is uh, moving from township to township. So you can, you, you know, you can plug into there and there are other programs that we run um, on all social media platforms, hashtag join us for tea, at join us for tea, or rather at Township Entrepreneurs, even on our YouTube page, then you will access whatever past content, whatever's happening right now. Just click the link on our bio and, you know, join the community. Click join the community. Click join the community. I will share the links to all of T's platforms underneath this podcast. So all you have to do is click in the description section and you will access everything yeah. that T has to offer. Take it from me as somebody who has participated in T events. It is worth all of your time. They have funding opportunities, mentorship opportunities, just learning opportunities. That is what we need as entrepreneurs. So don't sleep on this information that Budilani has given you or on the platforms because if you just, just get it done, just do the things, just take the step, you will see your entrepreneurial journey being more fulfilling and more exciting. Guys, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Debo Lion Show. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, do all the right things, and we'll see you next week on another episode. Toodles. Thank you. <laughs> Debo Lion with the podcast. Did you listen? Cause I got class. Debo Lion with the impact. You be lying, that's a real fact.